Hey everybody and welcome to the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs coming at you from the great city of Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Sean Riley. And I'm Common Thrath. And today, like always, we're having a no bullshit conversation about the entrepreneurial way of life. All right, everyone, welcome back. I'm very excited today to have a great entrepreneur, someone that I got to know, and he has been a serial entrepreneur as well and has a lot of great stories to share with you guys, some war stories about his experience and vulnerabilities. Uh, we have Rick Norberg, the CEO of Vertical Six. Hey, Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Com. Thanks for, uh, for having me on today. Really appreciate it. Well, we're excited to have you on here, so hopefully you're ready to... Yeah, you're ready to uh, to share everything and not hold back. You got it. Rick, I have to ask you, where does the name come from? Cause that's a, that's like a license plate company name. That's a kick-ass name. Like oh, that's going to be on our license plates. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's so we started the company or I started the company back at O2 and then it, it evolved a few times. And then in September of 15, um, we were part or part owned, I should say by a larger entity and we bought the company back. So as part of that, we kind of went to a, a marketing firm and talked about, you know, what's the vision of where we want to be? How do we want to do business? What do we want to do for our clients? And, you know, one of the biggest things was we want to we want to elevate them. We want them to be enhanced by strategy and technology to bring them to the next level. So uh, after going through 100 names, we came up with Vertical 6. And um, the funny part is, is that um, when <laughs> I tell this story because I the domain name for Vertical 6 that I bought with the K was 30 bucks but I had to buy the C as well just to be safe. And that was four grand. So it was just, you know, <laughs> right. K was kind of like cool, like, you know, 2015, 2016, that era. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure we had the C covered, which is the one that really cost the money. So, right. Um, that, 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 that sums up being an entrepreneur, right? The, the company name you want is 30 bucks. The misspelling of your company name has to be four grand. If that doesn't sum up being an entrepreneur, talk about risk recovery right there. That's it. Like, Oh yeah, well, we got to buy the C. Anybody got four grand in our seed money that we don't have yet. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Totally. Yeah. That's that's That's, that's, I just think that's brilliant today. What we try to do is pick a topic well, well, that's not the trying. The trying part is sticking to the topic. But today I want to talk about commitment. And it's a, it's a big person word. It gets used a lot. But the reason why I think it's a great topic, um, particularly for you, is because your company has gone through changes. It was uh, owned or partially owned by somebody else. And it changed and you bought it back and it's, it's been rebranded or at least renamed and it's, it's arguably different. So the general kind of conversation I'd love to, to pick your brain about is how do you keep that level of commitment, not just with your people, but with yourself when you, when you go through this metamorphosis um, and the change of your company, how do you keep that commitment? And it, it has to do with excitement and personal drive and determination and, you know, boredom might creep in a little bit, but how do you keep that level of commitment and, and how important is commitment to you from your people, from yourself? And talk about that a little bit. It's, it's a big topic. Um, it's, it's super important. I think um, the, the first number one rule in my book to being a good entrepreneur is you really have to want it. Like I've done so many advisory sessions over the years of people that are like, oh, they look at the romantic aspect of being an entrepreneur. I'm like I get to the ice all day, you know, all those things. And yeah, I'm like, don't do it, man. Like if, if you think that that's what you're going to be in for, 
then this is not the job for you because, you know, at the point we're at now, we have 50 employees, you know, um, really good market presence. We're trying to grow into different markets. It's a very different place than 2007 when I started this really in the midst of a, a beginning of a recession, which is kind of where we are now, right? Like right. I left um, Palo Alto in 2006, came back here, started doing this. Then in the beginning of 2007, wham, the economy get, just fell apart. So it was like, wow, what a great time to, to start a business. But talk about commitment. If you're not 100% on board, man, that's not a good yeah. time to be doing this, right? So right. I, I tell people the first three years of this business from 07 to like 2010 was literally like walking into a tsunami. It was like one step at a time, 14 hours a day. I didn't start taking Sundays off until 2010. So the first yeah. three years were just every moment because you're doing everything right you're you're engineering right. you're selling you're delivering you're doing support it's just you know and that's where you really find out what you're made of right because i mean that is a level of commitment where it takes everything literally like everything else yeah in second yeah uh, to me uh, one of the things that that kind of defined that i was wired like an entrepreneur is that when everything is falling down around you and you have nothing you're still excited to go to work. And I'm like, either I'm really sick and I don't know it, or this is just how I'm, I'm wired. And it, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about, I mean, I don't know about you as an entrepreneur, but as an entrepreneur, owning my own business and having the freedom to do every, anything and everything that I want, I take less vacation and I know I play less golf than I used to when I was working for somebody else. So if you're in it for the vacation time and the perks of the golf game, forget about it. I mean, I've driven by great golf courses on my way to a client meeting or an investor meeting or whatever it is, but I'm not on there playing. It's, it's a different, you know, there's always that famous cartoon picture of the, the iceberg and everything underneath the waterline is us, you know, the grind, the marketing, the new markets, the strategy, the vision, the juggling family time, all that. And above it, the sun shining down on this little tip that everybody gets to see. It's like, oh yeah, at the top of the mountain. Yeah, but I didn't fly here. I like walked up the mountain <laughs> just to arrive, right? right? And it's interesting to get your perspective like that. And you have to keep that. And this isn't just for, for your employees and your partners. It's how do you keep your commitment yourself? How do you say, this is what, this is my purpose. And this is what I want to do, which is great. Like that's the advertisement. How do you stay committed to it, to do it every day? Where does that come from? You know, I, I wish I knew I've, when I was 16 years old, I had this idea. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I mean, I had some uncles that started businesses when I was kids and that sort of thing. But I've, I had this concept. I'm like, you know what? It'd be really cool. Now, this is back in the early 90s. If um, people that couldn't go to the market to get food could have it delivered to them. So I started this business called Quick Pickup and Delivery. And my concept was, you know, I'll put these flyers in people's mailboxes. They'll call me. I'll go do their food shopping for them. Now, this is before, obviously, Peapod, any of that stuff. None of that existed at that time. Even technology. It was before technology. It's yeah, before the internet. This is, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is before dial-up. Like, this is <laughs> Apple II, five and a quarter right. inch floppy time, right? So, <laughs> right. Um, uh, I put the flyers in the mailboxes. You talk about vulnerable entrepreneur, right? Here we go. Uh, and all of a sudden, I, I put 300 flyers out there. I got 30 calls. And yeah. I was freaked out. I had thought about the vision of being an entrepreneur, the dream of it, how cool it would be. I thought about the business concept, yeah. going and buying this food and giving it to these people. 
I now was not do? prepared for anything. <laughs> like I didn't really know what a ribeye was. I didn't know how to, buy, to price anything. I didn't know what the delivery dollars would. You gotta be. know your market, man. None of that. When I was sixteen. I was like, I was again in love with the concept, yeah. not the reality of it. Yeah. So then when uh, you know when I did this business in two thousand six. You know, I had I went to work in the mid '90s for tech companies. I had you know 11 years under my belt by the time I started doing this. I knew pricing models and you know gross margin models and all that stuff. And and I also learned a lot as I went. But I would say from a commitment perspective, you know, I never thought about walking away. Like I just you know there were times when I was in love with what I was doing. There was times when I just literally got in the door every morning and I'm just like I just got to keep going. But I yeah. think after enough enough time, you build this grit within you that just keeps you going. And I think a lot of, you know, what people, once the company starts to get bigger happens is people see that and they're like, wow, that's, you know, there was a time when, when he had to power through, or we have to power through right now, let's do it together as a team, you know? And I think that's really what makes a great company. Like I'm very focused on the culture of our company um, and, and how we're structured and what we do because of that. Um, I think greatness comes from your people and then it's bequeathed almost onto your clients. You know what I mean? If you have the yeah. right people and the right culture, your clients will naturally gravitate to you because, you know, the, there's awesomeness all around you. It's it's just one of those things. See, I agree. And I think that, you know, one of the things that Com and I talk a lot about is that, you know, entrepreneurs are, I believe, are are wired differently. We're, we're we, we are physically wired in a way that uh, is different. And that, that, that being entrepreneurial does not necessarily mean you have a company. You, you can be creative and entrepreneurial and, and, and work for another company. But what's interesting to me, and it, it to some degree proves my point, is you talk about your, your commitment to something as early as 16. So that, that's not an, a skill set that you get at you know, Duke graduate school, right? Your sense of commitment or what your purpose is, is already instilled in you. It's a chromosome that somehow we got a hold of that other people don't have. I mean, there's that famous picture of Jeff Bezos sitting in a room on a, on a, what looks like a plastic card table with a computer that's probably 400 pounds doing Amazon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, at least I don't think, doesn't set out to be the world's first trillionaire. It just happens because he's committed to this over here, which happens to be his company. And my belief anyways, is that it's a, innate trait or a gene or a chromosome, or we got something from somewhere that wires us differently to be committed. I never think about being committed. I just, you just do it. And, and, you know, to your point about, I stop working Sundays. I don't really think about particularly now with the pandemic, what day it is. You just, okay. Wow. That was Sunday. I had to work. Well, okay. It's just part of, of what we do. And I love your analogy about the the mailboxes. One of my first companies was called Do It All College Students. And I was in undergraduate school and we had a landscape company and that's what we did. And the best project we ever got was from the postmaster because they called us up and they're like, you realize that's a felony. You're not allowed to put stuff in people's mailboxes. Like that's a crime. By the way, I need my barn painted. Is there any way do you guys do painting yeah absolutely so you know that to me is that's marketing right there right you turn that around for the positive but my point is that it seems to me anyways that that our purpose and our commitment is 
not related to the subject matter. Like I bet if you looked at your life personally, you're very committed to whatever it is you choose to commit to. It's not, well, I really like vertical six and I'm, you might be, you might spend more time in something, but your level of commitment, I, I would think doesn't necessarily change a whole lot, maybe a little bit, but not a lot. Well, based on what I'm doing or what I'm engaged in. Um, yeah, not really. I, I would say that uh, the commitment to what you're doing, it depends on what it is, right? Like I wish like I could go to the gym more often, right? I think yeah. you find a lot of people when it comes to commitment and entrepreneurs, you, you, you have this stovepipe in your life that you are phenomenal at, or you're just really adept at, right? Whether it be running a company or running a marathon or, you know, writing a book. And then the other things in your life maybe don't quite have that level of discipline. So it's only like, you know, you have to prioritize where you spend your time and, and your resources, yeah. right? So, um, but I, w I would agree, like when I really want something, I know how to turn it on because you know, you've done it many times over with businesses and other things, you know? And I would argue, turn it on and keep it on. In other yeah. words, it doesn't go away quick through the good and the bad. Well, and you got to fight through it, right? So, I mean, the, if you're totally committed to something, a lot of times you don't have the answers, right? You just got to kind of wing it if you don't know. And then maybe you have to kind of like let go a little bit and see what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Cause you right. just don't know, have all the answers. You don't know how it's going to play out. And those are the most challenging times, right? When you're just like, I'm two months away from being totally broke. Like I've been doing this for three years, working my butt off, killing myself. You know, I really don't know if this is going to work out, but you know what? I'll find a way. You know what I mean? Exactly. Or somehow it'll, it'll appear. So, well, and I would so, argue it's not commitment if you if you know the answers or you know what the end result is. You're really not committed. You're just kind of there for the ride if you know what the end result is. I think being committed to what's around the corner when you have no idea how long the turn is, you have no idea what's on the other side, you don't know if the road ends, what's going to happen, but you're committed, which is not to say being reckless. It's just you're committed to what it is, is your purpose, which can change. But my point is it doesn't ebb and flow based on the known versus the unknown. You're committed to whatever it is, not necessarily regardless, but less impacted by what could go wrong, what you don't know, what the answer is, what's the next market, have you defined it, what is revenue, what will revenue be as opposed to what is it projected to be. You And we've done a lot of episodes about fear, but you manage that in a different way, commitment, is the number well, commitment or purpose? I use those almost interchangeably. Is the number one the common denominator? So, speaking of, you mentioned purpose, Sean, and I want to hear this from Rick because we talk about that a lot in a lot of episodes. Because something has to drive or connect you to that commitment or that grit or that determination. So, like, did you have a purpose? Did it change? Did you have a purpose when you were sixteen, or what was your purpose when you started your first company? And you know. And then and what's your purpose now? Is it the same? Like what, what, what makes you stay committed? I think it's evolved over the years. Um, when I started my first company when I was 16, I just knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do. So when the, the quick pickup and delivery experience happened, obviously it didn't pan out for me, but I also didn't let it destroy me. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, I started a business and I didn't really get what I was doing, maybe next time when I do this, I should really understand what I'm doing before I do it, right? So then if you fast forward, you know, um, in 2002, I started this, um, there was the uh, crash of 2001, if you guys remember, right? So I got laid off as part of that. And I'm like, I'm starting my own business, I've had enough. 
And I started doing stuff on nights and weekends and then, you know, went back to work full time. And then in 2006, I was finally ready to really commit full time to doing my own thing. And then I think in the beginning, it was simply survival, right? So I'd save some money. It was, you know, I just got to go out there and do whatever I can to make this happen. And immediately, six months later, the economy crashed around me, which is very useful for right now, right? We can go into that if you guys want to. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, I just kept pushing. And then like in 2010, I ended up partnering with a larger company and I was literally a week or two away from going back to work. Like I was like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but if this doesn't close, you know, this transaction where we do this joint venture together, um, then this is probably just going to be over, you know? And I just kept going, kept pushing and got through it. And, and I would say at this point, you know, I'm really concerned about everybody that I'm with. Right. So now it's about, you know, everyone's life around me matters, right? Like people want promotions and raises and they want to do more with their people. They want to be happy. They want, you know, to explore life in their own way. And, and how can I help enable them to do that? So I'm still very committed to my dream of being an entrepreneur and growing the company just because it's fun. And I think it's really cool, but I'm also trying to do the best I can for, for everyone around me, you know, and use my skills and abilities to point us in the right direction and, and, you know, also be open and kind of, you know, uh, surrendered for lack of a better term to, to what other people around me think, because, you know, it's not just about me anymore. It might've been in 2006, but, at this point, I've got a whole team of people that are smart and capable and amazing. So, you know, a lot of them have great suggestions and ideas and, you know, trusting them to do their, their roles and execute well. You know, that's kind of where it is at this point. So commitment has changed over time. It's, I'm not less committed, but I'd say the way that I'm committed and the reasons I'm committed have evolved. Right. You know, it's interesting, and, and this is something that, that I've talked to you about with employees in different companies I've had and Kam and I talk about this a lot. Um, you know, success is not always up. It's a lot of times, and I would argue more fulfillingly, it's wide. In other words, you get the, the gifts of your people that work for you. You get to be mentored as well as be a mentor. You get to look at different um, strategies and visions of your company that maybe you might not have had, had it just been you going straight up and being successful yourself. Success, at least for me, is, and, and being entrepreneurially is wide as well. And I say, um, Rath, we're a small company, but when I had Accelerant, we had about 400 people, including the, the temps. And I would always talk about, you know, I'm the CEO because we have to have one. But but every job that we have here is it serves a critical purpose. So we're wide, we're not high. There's not really a traditional, which I don't like anyways, but the traditional hierarchy, because if I don't do my job, the company fails. But if someone who's making minimum wage at a factory that's 110 degrees on a Friday night doesn't do their job, either the company fails. And what needs to be focused on is the breadth of that, not the height of who it is that's failing. And I think that we as entrepreneurs can be, I believe, much more absorbative and take in, you know, the company is bigger than us. It's, it's not, it's not just us. It's a, it's a soup. And everyone that, that is involved in, in your company, and that includes partners and cl especially clients and employees make up 
what it is. The vision might be yours, the idea, the, the logo, the name, the, the, what I would argue, the smaller things, but it quickly becomes bigger than us. And that's not size or revenue. It's, it's purpose. It becomes much bigger than us. I mean, if you, you know, you could probably look at your company and its evolution and pick certain parts of that time frame out where you had a great idea to do something that may not have been yours. It probably came from, you know, amazingly somebody who's on day two of their career with you or whatever. I've also given a lot of examples of, of great ideas that I had that bombed tremendously. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they're great ideas. They're not, right. They're not great uh, execution, right? It's like, that was so good on paper. I don't know what happened. So talking yeah. about, oh, oh, go ahead, Rick. No, go ahead, Doc. So he's talking about bombing a little bit, you know, you know, what, what, what was like a life-changing, you know, event that happened for you? Like, what was something that was like, really just was, was a, a vulnerable moment and you had a lot. Um, well, I can, the reason that I'm here really is, is because of, um, I mean, in this particular iteration of, of, of being an entrepreneur, you know, I was, um, I'll never forget it. My, my last job, I mentioned earlier about the stock option piece of it, but I was uh, flying one night from Kansas City to Miami and uh, just had a moment, like a real life-changing moment where you're like, if I don't jump off this hamster wheel now and do what I want to do with my life, like I'm going to get stuck here. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was working with sales guys that were making, you know, quite a bit of money and had were in their 50s. At the time I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And, um, I was like, wow, man, if I don't, if I don't literally start to make a change right now, like life is going to go on and get more complicated. And then I'm going to get stuck in this cycle of, you know, this is what it's going to be. And then, you know, a week later I gave my notice and started doing this and I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. Right. Like I, right. you know, I started it with me and then it was me and the person then me and two people, then it was seven people, then 20 people, then 30, then 50. It was, you know, and that's been over the span of a decade and a few years, but um, I've been fortunate that I'm in technology and that I've, you know, got to meet a lot of great people and work with a lot of great, great clients. You know, I was at a, a, a thing a few months ago, Rhode Island was, you know, saying we're going to institute mandatory sick days and, and all this other stuff. And, and this guy that was sitting next to me is fighting about it. And I'm like, dude, those are basic human rights in my opinion. Like, why, yeah. why are you fighting about sick time and like benefits for your yeah. people? Like, I get that, you know, you may not be in a business that has a lot of GM or like has a lot of perks, but I mean, there's some basic things that, you know, everyone needs like, and I, and I, those are things that are just innate to me. And I, I find it hard to believe when someone's like, oh my goodness, I would, you know, I, I'm fighting for that. I'm going to call my uh, Senator or something like that. I'm like, what, what are you going to do? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting to me that the, um, not so much entrepreneurs, but, but, but CEOs, what they worry about. I mean, really, that's what that's top of your mind right now is stick days. That's, that's a great place to live when when that's what you're worried about right now is, you know, it's it just and I think I've softened certainly as I've gotten older, but my goodness, your life's going to be pretty good at your company where you're charged with worrying about perks and sick days. And it's, you know, to your point, the, the last job I had, um, for a large investment company, I was in a strategy group and I had about a hundred, over a hundred people, 120 people that <laughs> quote unquote reported to me. And that was struck me as bizarre because I didn't know what most of them actually did every day. And I'll never forget, we got a huge project and my boss called me in and he said, okay, this project is going to your group. We're going to need 
12 FTEs for the new project. And I said, 12 FTEs, Bob, I got 130 people. We don't, we don't need any, we don't need more people. He's like, yeah, that's what the budget calls for and we don't want to lose them. So we have to hire, it's total empire building, right? And that to me was the beginning of the covers coming off this entrepreneurial spirit where uh, we're doing, we're making all this progress, all this motion. I look out, all these people are moving around. There's all this activity, but we're not making progress. We're certainly not doing it by the answer being hiring 12, my God, 12 more people. Well, where are we going to put them? Well, we got to build the space out and all this. I'm like, this, this just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And it was that hierarchical organization that success is up. Well, we got to be bigger because that's what, how we determine success. And for me, that was the beginning of the, of the end. It's, it's success to me can be nimble and small and just as effective, at least to me personally. Well, and rewarding. You got to be mindful too, when you're running it, how, how you structure that as the CEO or even, even your leadership team, right? right? So success doesn't necessarily mean up into management. You can be an amazing individual contributor and involved in that role. You know, yeah. I think back to the to my first couple of jobs when I worked at Fidelity, I worked at Digital, I worked at Compaq. Um, you know, success was always into management or something like that. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, as I kind of evolved as a person, like you, not necessarily, like th there's a lot of people that get promoted into those jobs because they feel that they should have them and it's just not, not a good fit and it ends up destroying them. You know, well, so I, you, I bring this up all the time and I'm sure you've seen it. You know, the career path for a kick-ass developer was to be a manager of developers. Right. And you would see time and time again, they, A, they hated it because that what made them a kick-ass developer was developing. Right. And now they're into that, that management suck that they, yeah, it's a promotion, but it's not what they want to do. It's like you are so good at what you do that we're going to promote you to manage people. Right. Wow. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, and some of those guys, like I think back to, I worked at a startup in 2003 and those, the guys that were like rock star developers would go to their desk. I mean, back then we didn't have LEDs, right? We had regular monitors and they had like a receiver on their desk with a monitor on top of it. And they were plugged in all day long, yeah. you know, and that was just their vision of success was to be, a, you know, a really great developer or even maybe like an architect developer right. rather than, you know, some other type of that. So, you know, I, I, but I think that starts with with you as an entrepreneur or with your leadership team being like, it's just as great to grow out as it is to grow up, depending on what you want to do with your life. Um, right. So it, it's one of those perception things that, you know, you don't even realize you're doing sometimes and you have to take a step back and go, wait a minute. You know, you, you talk about commitment. And one of the hardest challenges, I think, with being a CEO is my job title hasn't changed in 14 years. But what I do every day has changed a lot. Right. You yeah. have to be committed to the evolution of, of you as a person. You know, certain things you have to learn, something you have to let go of, certain things you just have to trust are going to work out. And that's probably one of the, the most difficult things about being a, an entrepreneur, I think, is is as it grows, it's not about you. It's about your people. And it's about absolutely letting yeah. this, this thing have its own personality, its own life. So, yeah. So, Rick. Well, so. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, like during the pandemic now, like I think we've seen a lot of people with evolution from companies to people to structure. What are some evolutionary things that you've done? And you no, know, you know, did you did you have any failure um, trying to evolve in the last several months? You know, I think a lot of people have been having. You know, some people say pivot, transition. Have, tell us some tell us some yeah. stories. 
So <laughs> the last few months have been a journey, right? Um, you know, when it first happened, I think there was a lot of um, uncertainty. There still is, right? I mean, but is it going to be a U-shaped recovery, a V-shaped recovery? You know, right. should I cut heads? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I think we've taken a very measured approach to what's going on. So not trying to rush into things before they manifested, right? Like, obviously, we want to keep an idea of what's going on. And, and, you know, one of the biggest challenges for us in March was that, you know, all of a sudden, net new business just dried up. Like, our existing customer base was investing. But, you know, um, people that were considering changing technology providers, whatever the case may be, the kind of fear and the stopping of the pandemic stopped a lot of that. So we've had to really kind of invest in in, in what 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 does this new world look like where we can, how do you get customers? How do you retain them? How do you attract them to you? What's your value proposition? You know, how am I going to help you as a technology provider make your company awesome in the time of COVID? So kind of reworking. So we spent a lot of time in the last few months looking at lead gen website, um, you know, our, our message to our clients and trying to evolve that because the, it's funny, pandemics like this and, and major life changes like this just accelerate trends that are already underway. We were already in a digital transformation, work from home mode, but this just kind of kicked it from the third into fifth gear. You know, so it's just been about trying to get your clients to where they need to be, you know, get your people to where they need to be, and then keep the organization evolving because as you enter a recession, you have to work three times harder for other clients that you had a year ago, right? It's just that that was what I learned in 2007, which is what makes me grateful for those years, is that, you know, this is a different situation in the fact that it's not just me this time, it's a whole bunch of people, you know, but the principles are the same. Like when you're in that kind of a crisis, you have to evolve quickly, you know, stay current with what's going on in the environment around you to keep your clients and prospects moving forward and then rapidly, but at the same time, sanely make and introduce change. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, you know, pivoting is great and it's kind of a buzzword. Um, I actually, when I have our entrepreneurial clients, when they talk about pivoting, I get nervous because it, it, sometimes it has the feeling of, well, the world is changing around us. So we have to do something to accommodate for that change. And, and, I would argue sometimes doing something is actually not doing anything is, is, you know, I used to coach for a long time and, and I would tell the players, I have the best job because I'm on the other side of the white line. I get to see the whole field and I don't have to worry about, I do have to worry about what's happening right in front of me, but I also have to worry about everything else. So it puts it in, into perspective. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they feel the push of, okay, the environment or the market or the customer is changing. So I have to do something. And the worst thing you can do is something when you don't know what it is. And I like that you say it needs to be measured because sometimes you just have to take a step back on the other side of that sideline and say, well, let's just see what develops in front of us and then take the appropriate action. Let's not just change because, oh my God, there's a pandemic and that we don't even know what that means to a business yet. And certainly to each one of your customers who are distinct and different among themselves. Um, I think that, you know, changing just for the purpose of changing is not always the healthiest thing to do from a, or even personally, but, but uh, as well as from an entrepreneurial perspective. Absolutely. And there's that line in there between, you know, taking too long and, and not taking long enough. Right. And I think that's what yeah. you mean with the wisdom of being an entrepreneur over time is that, you know, you're expected by your people, by your customers, and, you know, even by yourself to a large degree 
to hold yourself to this standard where, you know, this is happening. Okay. I got it. You know, this is what we think is going to happen. Okay. So now let's, let's be patient for a minute. Let's see what happens and let's take our planning options and lay them on the table, A, B, and C. And then as we start to let things happen, it'll become more obvious which top choice is the right one, right. you know, and then you can make change. And, you know, but a lot of times too, it's just acceptance of the moment. I think a lot of people who entered this pandemic, they were really in denial. They're like, oh, it's, it's going to turn around tomorrow. It's like, maybe, maybe not. Either right. way, we're all going to survive. Well, well you know, <laughs> pandemic right. aside, like it's right. just, we're just, you know, stay the course, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let things happen. And, you know, you have to make things happen sometimes, sometimes you let things happen. So, yeah, it's funny. I looked for that chapter in the entrepreneurship manual. They hand out when you start a company, I, I couldn't find any of those answers. What am I supposed to do in a pandemic? It's not like chapter eight where you say, Oh, oh yeah, there it is right there. Number four, yeah. we do this. They left that appendix out. I know. Right. Yeah. I just, I didn't get that manual. It's not updated. <laughs> so now no. what we do is we kind of this is something new. So yes, being an entrepreneur, you will be kind of first an early adopter as it were. Um, I'm a big fan of this. There, there used to be a show on TV uh, called inside the actor studio and the host of it at the end of it would cite this survey or questionnaire that was written by a, a French uh, columnist whose name is Bernard Pivot. And he asked these eight or nine thought provoking questions. Kind of first thing that comes to your mind I tried this with calm and you know, we want to talk about filling up the failure bucket a little bit. We, I think he's still trying to answer what his favorite word is. We'll get to that in a second. So it's first quick, you know, first thing to come to mind. Let's see how this goes. This will be our first one and we want to continue. James Lipton moment. I got it. Yeah. This is your James Lipton moment, right? The blue cards and everything. All right. Question one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. Hmm. See, you're going down comms road. Yeah, no, it's, I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite word. I really don't. I'm trying to think of, you know, what would be something that I'd use all the time. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass. I don't, I don't really have a favorite word. Oh man, see, well, see he, he went worse than me. I didn't pass. <laughs> you're right. I'm worse than it, right? James Lipton would want me to be natural about it, right? So uh, That's true. That's very yeah. true. All right, we'll have to, we'll, we're going to say pass. Uh-huh. What is your least favorite word? As if. This is going to be any easier. I would say no. It's probably my least favorite word. So when I, I, I preface that with two reasons. Number one, I, I like to think there's always a possibility. Yeah. And number two, I have a really hard time myself saying no. So yes. it's one of those things where it's both of those moments. Yeah. Yep. Whenever somebody says, say, when, everybody, when, when somebody says it's empowering to do something, that means it's hard. Like people say, oh, it's so empowering to say, no, yeah, I know that it's hard. That's why we have the biggest trouble doing that. <laughs> um, what turns you on? And this prompted a bunch of questions from Kami he was in analyzing how big the audience is and is his wife listening and what does that mean? What turns you on? I would say growth turns me on. Like I really love, and it doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, something that's quantifiable, but growth in some way, you know, whether it be right. mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, you know, I, I always feel like we're here to evolve and grow and this what we're doing. So what sound do you love? Birds like birds at a camper. And, uh, you know, I love waking up in the morning and just going outside and just hearing birds. Yeah, everywhere. Birds. I live in the city, so I get them occasionally. Um, but you know, I'm in the, in the wilderness. It's, you know, it's probably one of my favorite sounds. What sound do you hate? 
sound do I hate? Probably the screeching of something. You know, like nails on well, the chalkboard. That's popular today. That was comms. Com had that one too. Yeah, something popular like that. Popular answer. Just one of those ones that goes up your back and you're like, ah! <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word? Probably the F-bomb. Use it probably more than I should. We uh, strive in our podcast to get the E that goes next to the description that says it's explicit. I, I give you complete license to use it or not. <laughs> it, it is it is a go, it is an episode goal for us to get the little explicit. This could be a PG it. podcast. I don't want to be accused of that. It could be. You're right. You're an innovator. That's right. <laughs> what profession other than yours would you like to try? Would I like to try? Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, I've, I've kind of done a lot of the professions that I like to try. I've been an engineer. I've been a sales engineer. I've been in tech support. I've been a sales guy. I've been kind of a financial person. Yeah, I don't think I have any really burning, like, if I left this tomorrow, you know, do I feel like I left, I missed something or, or missed out on something? I don't, I don't really have that feeling. So, yeah, I don't, don't have That's one. a great answer. Do you have a profession you would not want to participate in? Oh, I don't like for professions that are highly repetitive. Those are the ones that I probably would not want to be in. Like I, I strive for constant change. Change. Um, you know, there are professions in this world that are very stable. You know what I mean? Like running a drill press or a lathe or, you know, something like that where you go in every day to the same thing. And, and some people love the structure of that. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't appeal to me. So. Um, and the last question, and this is where we get vulnerable. If heaven exists, what would you like? to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates. Good job. You know, that's probably what I love to hear from God, you know? Yeah. Um, I think a life well lived is, you know, um, a gift. You know, yeah. I, I, we're all guilty of passing on opportunities that came to us or, you know, making the wrong decision or being afraid. And, you know, some people who are very Zen will say, oh, it doesn't matter. It just kind of happened that way. And that's a lot of truth to that, right? Because you don't know what path you know, that decision is going to take you on, you know, from a, an alternate, you know, destination. But, um, you know, I like to think that I, I try to live my life as best I can. The last thing we, we talk about is as we, as we close, because as you know, we could go on for hours and it doesn't even <laughs> seem like it's been an hour as usual. That's typical for us. <laughs> um, you know, as I mentioned before, we're, we're all on an island, but, but the islands are very close together. And, and we ask, you know, to tell us a little bit about what you're doing next or what you're working on now. And then if you don't mind giving um, your email or whatever, so that audience members who are looking at this as a learning experience or a growing experience, and if they have a follow-up question, um, we get them, if they can get a hold of you somehow and maybe ask for advice or they want to start a company or whatever. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on, what's next. For, for Vertical 6 and, and, you know, what's on the agenda? Sure. So, you know, I just, um, about six months ago, I kind of retired as sales manager and brought on a really great guy, uh, Steve, to take over that function. So what I'm trying to do at this point in the company's career is, you know, not only work on obviously direction where we're taking the company as a whole with my leadership team, but I'm really trying to expand the company, trying to open an office, you know, we just opened an office in Framingham, trying to expand into adjacent geographies to keep the company growing. And that's really, you know, even before the COVID situation, what I was, you know, planning for FY20. So that's um, that's what we're doing. And uh, I'm not gonna let, you know, 
the speed bump derail us. We're just going to keep going. It might go a little slower pace, but you know, it is sure. what it is. So excellent. And then uh, as far as contact information goes, it's, it's R Norberg, R N O R B E R G at vertical six with a K number six.com. Um, <laughs> yeah. Happy to help anyway. Actually, if you do it with a C, it'll also work. It's probably more cost effective to do with a C given the, the investment you made. <laughs> well, at this point, we're five years down the road. I got, you know, branding. We got these guys. Like, oh, I just can't see the backgrooms. Anyway, is what it is. It's on my desk. But, um, you know, we've, we're kind of committed to the cake. So, awesome. all good. Well, as always, you know, we can, we can certainly get money back and we can replace people. But the one thing that we can never get back is time. So we, we greatly appreciate your time uh, spending um, this last hour or so with us. Um, frankly, it's it's a gift being able to talk to entrepreneurs and executives like yourselves that are running amazing companies and have put together amazing teams. And, and you know, for myself and, and certainly, um, we really appreciate your time and, and thanks for everything today. I really appreciate Sean, Calm, both of you guys having me on and the opportunity to, to share. You know, we get so um, focused on our day to day that, you know, these moments kind of stick your head up for a second out of the water and you're like, Hey, what's going on? You know, there's other things going on in this world. So, uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on and, um, taking the time to sit down. Thanks a lot, Rick. Rick Norberg is CEO of vertical six. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode coming up and, um, comments, suggestions, all the, um, contact information is at the end of this. So, uh, we look forward to, to being on the other side. See you guys later. Continue to crush it, everyone. Till next time. Thanks, Rick. Thanks guys. So this is not so much just for our listeners. It's with our listeners. We're doing this with them, not just for them. We're all together in this big, massive, disconnected group called entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. Twitter and Instagram at The VE Podcast. The VE Vulnerable Entrepreneur Podcast. And join the conversation by visiting us on our website, thevepodcast.com and email us at hello at thevepodcast.com. Thanks everybody for joining us today. That wraps it up. We understand that every minute of your day is valuable and we appreciate you spending time with us today.